You are listening to a podcast from The National. Dubai ride-hailing platform Kareem has made its first foray into micro-mobility, scooters and bike rentals. But will it pick up? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from The National's newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Now, later in this episode, we will hear from PTV Group's Andrea Petty about the future for autonomous transport. But right now, here is the other news you need to know from the national.ae. The UAE made significant advances in competitiveness globally and regionally last year, with the country improving its business-friendly environment and serving as a springboard for more startups, according to the latest survey from IMD Business School. The UAE edged up two notches to fifth place in their world competitiveness rankings. That's out of 63 countries. In its peer group of Europe, the Middle East and Africa, the UAE rose to second place from fourth. Lebanon's 2019 draft budget, which Parliament still needs to endorse, is the beginning of a five-year economic recovery process that aims to cut the fiscal deficit to 7.5% this year and revive tourism, according to Prime Minister Saad Hariri. After a prolonged debate that required 19 cabinet meetings, the Lebanese government finally endorsed this year's budget with the goal of reducing the ballooning fiscal gap and averting a financial crisis. Mr. Hariri's cabinet is trying to reduce the budget deficit from the current 11.5% of gross domestic product through spending cuts and increasing taxes. The US Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating whether Boeing properly disclosed issues tied to the grounded 737 MAX jetliner as regulators intensify their scrutiny of the company following two deadly crashes. Officials in the SEC's Enforcement Division are examining whether Boeing was adequately forthcoming to shareholders about material problems with the plane. The agency is also reviewing the aircraft manufacturer's accounting to make sure its financial statements have appropriately reflected potential impacts from the problems, according to Bloomberg. London home buyers are getting the biggest discount in at least six years, according to data from Zoopla, The average reduction on a home in 13 inner London boroughs jumped to 7.6% in the first quarter, up from 7% a year earlier. The residential real estate market in the UAE capital has been stung in recent years by the introduction of new taxes and the uncertainty surrounding Brexit. The Dubai Land Department and UAE lender Mushrek unveiled a blockchain-based electronic mortgage system to speed up and strengthen the home loan registration process in the Emirates. This is as Dubai looks to digitalize its services and encourage greater investment in the sector. Under the license agreement, Mashrek mortgage holders will be linked up with the DLD's new system following a property sale to ensure all mortgages are properly registered and recorded via the new platform. Mortgages can also be modified through the system and liquidations and payment defaults logged. And Bitcoin soared to the highest level in a year, extending a run that has seen prices more than double since March. The largest cryptocurrency climbed as much as 10% at the start of the trading week from levels on Friday and was trading at $8,847 as of 10.25am in Tokyo on Monday. Rival coins were also stronger at the start of the week. Litecoin added almost 9% and Ether, the second largest digital token, rose 6%. With me now is Kelsey Warner, Assistant Business Editor. Hi Kelsey. Hello Mustafa. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. So as I said earlier, Kareem has made a fascinating segue this week with an acquisition, but it isn't segue. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) I forgive you for that. Yeah. So Kareem acquired UAE 
Bike-based bike-sharing company, Cycle, uh, for an undisclosed sum earlier this week, marking its kind of first foray into what is now known as micromobility. Um, kind of just to give listeners a sense of what that is, uh, micromobility is considered just providing easy access to scooters and bikes uh, throughout urban environments. Uh, kind of with the idea that you know urban gridlock is a bit of a problem and there's more fun ways to get around the city. So this is kind of the latest uh, major startup venture that we're seeing. McKinsey actually uh, you know, put this industry uh, saying that it's growing two to three times faster than ride hailing and ride sharing. Uh, only in the last few years, we've seen $5.7 billion poured into micromobility. Uh, familiar brands that folks may have seen you know, in their travels are Bird and Lime which are both U.S.-based operators that have, you know, e-scooters and e-bikes throughout major metropolitan areas, you know, all over North America and Europe. Magnus Olson, actually, Kareem's co-founder, said uh, after the acquisition that he sees increasing bike availability and better bike routes throughout Abu Dhabi and Dubai and even the region, that that is set to transform the way people are going to get around in the next few years, which is really exciting. Yeah, so one thing immediately that struck me, apart from... Um, the handout picture from Kareem of Magnus happily Just riding a bike. pedaling away. Uh, but I did admire his sort of um, yellow t-shirt with Kareem's green colors that I wouldn't mind one of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, I remember pictures in China of just piles and piles and piles. And uh, I could add the piles, I could pile on the piles, <laughs> but of bikes, abandoned bikes from all the sure. ride sharing. And uh, I mean, the even- Bike sharing, sorry, that never hap- never materialized. So it's, okay, they had a bit of a supply issue. Maybe people were a little overexcited in terms of supplying the necessary transport tools. Even San Francisco at one point said, get these out of here. Uh, they've been removed from roads even in Dubai before. But- um, I think with Cycle, they're actually getting the scale right. Cycle actually only has 50 bike stations throughout Abu Dhabi now. The scale seems to be appropriate in terms of talking to other people in the newsroom about it. Yeah, they've maybe gone for a ride down the Corniche before using it. But what we're talking about is kind of increasing usability throughout the city and improving the infrastructure. Um, Kareem also announced, I think last week, that they were working with RTA to introduce 3,500 bicycles in Dubai as well. So it's a rapid ramp up, but uh, it's a much more fun way to get get through the city. No, I'm down with it. I mean, don't, don't, <laughs> just because, you know, I cautioned that in China, this was a, a fad. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a fad here, but you know, it was just speaking to the, the amount of investment that that McKinsey report Yeah, that $56 to, right? billion, dollars, 85% of that went to China. Uh, so they were a little frothy to begin, but I think it's sort of scaled back. And, you know, that's how I got around Berlin when I was in Berlin and you it was really fun. And you kind of couldn't walk around the city without kind of stubbing your toe on one of these uh, bike stations. But uh, it's a great way to get around and it's proving to be feasible. I mean, let's take a step back and, and you know, we look at it's good for Cycle. It's a local company um, pioneering something um, that is potentially very useful. There's an acquisition for them, which is great for the overall, you know, startup deal scene. We're continuing to see that activity, um, you know, from the big Uber Kareem uh, mm-hmm. transaction that got everyone excited. Um, but for Kareem, it's interesting because they continue to to keep pushing the envelope in different directions. They're a platform, right? And and they're looking, so they've got- Sure. They've got their eats, uh, you know, their food delivery, they, or, or Kareem, what they call Kareem now, which could actually deliver lots of things. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking at micromobility, which is interesting for them. Sure. I mean, it's uh, an exciting diversification strategy and it's following the model of what Uber's up to. Uh, and 
I'm glad that the UAE will be a beneficiary of it. So I mean, I, you talk about cyclists as 50 uh, points for taking the bikes, mainly the Corniche and Abu Dhabi, also Yas Island. Um, I was looking at their map. I was actually surprised with how, how many that is. 50 doesn't sound a lot, but actually... Right, because they're point-to-point stations, so you can get from point A to point right. B. And so the docks are sort of strategically located so that maybe you're going from one housing development over to a grocery store or to a golf course. They're clustered quite well as yeah. they are. So you can imagine if they if they continue to cluster them in different parts of both Abu Dhabi, Dubai and other cities in the UAE potentially, that they could become quite useful. I mean, this, this all speaks to that sort of last mile um, problem that mm-hmm. everyone's trying to resolve. Like, okay, you can have buses, you can have metros, you can have, um, you know, sort of a, a transit system, but there's always going to be a part of it that, needs yeah. to be connected in a more ad hoc way. And and the way actually the McKinsey report got another thing kind of quite right, I thought, which was they see the major pickup in micromobility is just we've already been primed with Kareem and Uber to kind of trust these ride hailing services, but also it just makes people happy was the second reason why this has been so successful. What people riding bikes yes, are happy. You know, getting out of the metro station, no longer having to slog 15 minutes to your office, instead being able to grab a bike and pedal instead it's just you know it's it's an endorphin kick yeah it is and you know i'll address i'll address the um you know the 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 elephant in the studio if you like which is that you know for half the year great right but you know the challenge is always will people get on their bikes you know in the summer and maybe maybe it's not such a problem maybe this is a seasonal thing that Mm -hmm. you know during the winter more people will ride bikes and less people will ride bikes in the summer Maybe there's a pricing thing here. There's the equivalent of the surge, right? So sure. in, in January you pay more. Yeah. In, in August you Season- they pay you. Right? We're 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 blessed to have seasonality kind of a main issue in our in our lives. I mean, in Boston, I wouldn't imagine getting on a bicycle in in February and dodging slush piles. So, you know, it's a, it's an issue in any city. Sure, in four months of the year here, it's sometimes too hot to function. But um, yeah. I, I you know I. I I just add, you know, congratulations to the Syacle guys for, you know, doing this business. They were backed by the Khalifa Fund for Enterprise Development, which does back a lot of um, local businesses. Um, It goes to show, you know, go out, do an idea um, and you can, you can, you can take it on. You know, there will, someone will pay attention. Mm -hmm. And if the Kareem guys who, you know, we rate quite highly here as being smart and, you know, and they have their mission and I think it's, it's going to help the region. If they see that, then as, as I feel like the UAE is often um, for Kareem being a test bed for what they do in bigger markets, perhaps, you know, testing the cycle market here is quite tough. You get that right, then maybe in, in bigger urban areas in, in Saudi, in Egypt, elsewhere, Iraq, they might, mm-hmm. you know, they might be able to pull that off. Yeah. And they've said already that they're planning on expanding it in the region in the next year already. So uh, still more good things to come. Well, Kelsey, thanks so much. Thank you. Um, we will keep an eye on on the whole transport sector. And, and speaking of that, I did I did say earlier that um, Chris Nelson, our assistant business editor, uh, interviewed Andrea Petty, managing director of PTV Group, the traffic and logistics software company owned by Porsche. Uh, let's have a listen now to Andrea explaining to Chris what he thinks will be the main factors behind the mainstream adoption of autonomous transport in the future. To reap the, the full potential of autonomous vehicles, you need few enablers. You need the autonomous vehicles, of course. You need them to be the, the infrastructure to be ready. So, are we going to have specific corridors, let's say, allocated to autonomous vehicles? Then there is the infrastructure communication part. So, uh, autonomous vehicles can can talk to each other. 
can talk to infrastructure, but then the infrastructure needs to be ready. So again, there is a, a lot of infrastructure communication that needs to be there. And then there is also the education, and let's not forget it, of the people. Because then if I see an autonomous vehicle and I start pushing the limits on the road and I say, let's see how it reacts, please, no. You need to do also something that most of the time people forget is a campaign to educate not the autonomous vehicles drivers because they're, they are not there, but the other guys in order to cope with these kind of uh, things. And then you should start also adjusting. So in, in an agile way, see how the things evolve and then push it forward. What I usually see in the technology shift is that any forecast is wrong. Any forecast. And as somebody used to say, forecast is a very difficult thing, especially about our prediction about the future. Usually the take up of these kind of things is much faster than, uh, than what we expect if the right conditions are there mm -hmm. again. So I hope that I'm wrong in terms of forecast. I hope that by 2030, there will be more than 25%. So, I mean, these are all things that we, maybe we sit uh, after yeah. that. And obviously, um, as, as you pointed out, Dubai particularly is, uh, is at the vanguard of that, um, yeah. of that development. Absolutely. Um, another aspect of, of uh, autonomous transportation, of course, is the idea of platooning, you know, where you yes. have a series of two, three, four trucks, which, as I understand it at the moment, um, they do have drivers in them, but the lead driver uh, is the one who controls all three or four trucks. Yes, correct. Um, whereas, and, and the drivers in the other trucks can take a rest or they can do whatever they want to do, um, allowing, presumably, allowing the transportation of goods um, to be pretty much non-stop mm -hmm. from point A to point B, no matter how long the distance how far down the road are we with that becoming uh, a reality? Look, I mean, one of our brands, I mean, the Volkswagen brands, uh, is is pioneering the platooning. Uh, I'm talking about Scania, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, there are few aspects there. Uh, again, uh, platooning requires, and here I go, a bit technical, very low latency in communication between the trucks. So you need to be able to have, and because in order to, to reduce the distance, mm -hmm they need to communicate. The first one needs to communicate with the second and so on and so forth. So there needs to be a chain. So there needs to be a very short latency that nowadays it's surfacing the, the, the communication environment, but this is the starting point. So where do we stand with that? I would say that basically is going to expand as soon as we have dedicated the lanes for, for that. I mean, logistics is going to be a, a massive improvement in terms of moving goods around. And I will say that uh, probably that is going to take less than the autonomous, fully autonomous uh, vehicles. Platooning is a feature that is doesn't require the full autonomy of the vehicle, but it requires really short latency between the... So I think it's going to be less in terms of uh, time implement, implementation time. Um, shorter. Obviously... Given the current uh, technological world we live in, um, everybody is well aware of the threat of, uh, of cybercrime and cyber Correct. attacks and hacking and this, that and the other. To what extent can an autonomous transport system be made 100% safe? Because, I mean, the idea of, of a hacker getting control of several yeah. cars on a motorway traveling at 70 miles an hour is not a pleasant one. Absolutely. And this is, uh, this is a challenge. Uh, I mean, I go back to another industry, which was uh, the banking industry with NFC. I mean, everybody was concerned about the security of uh, NFC. So the industry spent massive amounts 
of money in order to make the uh, encryption key or the, uh, the the key holder basically safe. Nowadays, everybody's using Apple Pay, everybody's using, I mean, the only question you get is, can I tap your card? But everybody's comfortable. Going back to your point, of course, the hacking risk will always be there, meaning that I'm not saying that people can hack it. I mean, there is a threat, let me put it in this way. Now, uh, the way it is built, the autonomous vehicle is uh, autonomous vehicle. So let me repeat it. It's, people think that as it is connected, I can get in and I can can hack it. Uh, there is there is plenty of firms that are starting um, to do the encryption algorithm for the core software of the vehicle, like they're doing for the content. So the guys that are in the pay TV, now they're moving into the encryption. They, what they use as an encryption for the pay TV, not to hack the, the content, or let's say the encryption code before it is uh, passed on to the content, they're doing the same for the for the autonomous vehicles. So there is a lot of investment in the industry, but I go back to the basics, autonomous vehicle. Mm -hmm. So the vehicle is supposed to function autonomously. autonomously. The same is for traffic lights. They, have, they are remotely controlled, but if there is something that doesn't work, they go back and they override anything and they go basically back to the original algorithm. So that's the principle. So the vehicle should be able to function independently where nobody's doing anything with the vehicle. So, and then there is massive in investment. So that's the long answer to, to your question. Uh, on another aspect, I think um, it's probably true to say that uh, automated transport systems offer the possibility of major ecological benefits as well and environmental benefits. Um, I wonder if you can just sort of briefly outline how and why that would come about. Look, uh, there are a few things. I mean, among the positive things, uh, I mentioned that, uh, of course, reduction in CO2 emission uh, uh, is, is one of the major... major. Oh, and is that primarily because there would be electric or...? or the idea is, the idea is, is uh, it depends again how you plan it. It's a mix of, uh, of the different elements. There being electric, and then it goes back to how you generate electricity. So but that's, that's something that uh, is being addressed. The other thing is... Uh, how basically uh, you support the autonomous vehicle. So we've been part uh, with OECD uh, to a study, actually. We did the simulation in uh, Lisbon, and we assumed basically a, a very digital approach. All the cars are going to be uh, autonomous, electrical. How many cars, what is the fleet size that we need to deliver the same kilometers, or this, let me put it this way, the same trips uh, of the existing population? And it was only 30% of the vehicles. So you have a massive reduction in the fleet size. So this is one aspect. The other aspect is, okay, but the kilometers traveled increase because you have these guys going around all the time. So a big thing, and we didn't discuss it yet, is shared mobility. So if you want to really reap the benefit from a technology perspective, connectivity and so on, but from an efficiency perspective, shared mobility, that will help a lot. The last piece is that you cannot imagine to have only autonomous vehicles. You need still a mass transit system. The whole city cannot function only with autonomous vehicles. You need to have a mass transit system like the Dubai Metro mm -hmm. that will help and do the backbone part. That will reduce the fleet even more and then you start seeing the positive effect on the CO2 emission. If you just do full, full autonomous vehicles, then you will have higher kilometer travels, increased CO2, so you will not reap the benefit. 
you need to find the right mix. Mm. So you need to simulate again, do a homework, and test what is the right mix from a CO2 perspective. And our simulation software, I mean, helps also to calculate the CO2 emission so you can see the net impact. Um, you're responsible for uh, the Middle East, Africa, and the India region at uh, PTV. What would you say are the um, outstanding differences between, let's say, Africa and India when it comes to uh, the challenges and the potential for uptake? Okay, they are two completely different markets. Uh, I mean, I what I can see is that Africa is is growing and there are some predictions that say that Africa will overtake in terms of development, in terms of size, India or the, the countries like Southeast Asia. So this is one of, one let's say, one of the things that uh, the, the industry is saying. If we go back to the transport side, I mean, I would say that uh, there are uh, both, both countries are self-organizing in order to cope with the massive amount of population in India or the total lack of infrastructure in, uh, in Africa. So if you look at the uh, Africa, I will say that it's more a challenge of planning, real, even uh, sidewalk planning. The, the, the major issues in terms of safety that they have is not on the roads, but it's people crossing where they shouldn't cross, walking where they shouldn't walk. So really organizing and do really design of the different roads and the junction. If you look at India, it's a very sophisticated country. On the other hand, a lot of software developers, a lot of, uh, let's say, possibility. I would say that in terms of curve, India is ahead of Africa, so which is good from one end, but on the other end, the infrastructure has been built, planned and done, so there is limited, let's say, transformation you can do. In Africa, you can do more. So there are two different uh, countries in terms of opportunities and challenges. Uh, I would say that there is a lot of focus on World Bank in Africa. They are investing a lot, especially in Sub-Saharan Africa, Ethiopia, Uganda, Kenya, there is a lot of focus from UN to make it sustainable. So there is a lot of attention. I would say India is more capabilities available. So there is more room to do, let's say, impact, impactful things, thinking. Uh, it's more looking at the, the political willingness to, to do that. So now there is a project in India with around 100 smart cities. They are implementing that. Now there is elections. Let's see what happens after the elections are done. But the capabilities definitely in India are there. In Africa, there is also an educational process. There is not the planning, transport planning capabilities that they have in India. So this, so it could be, um, given that you point out that uh, in, in, in countries where there is already an established, planned and built uh, transport infrastructure, um, the, you know, the, the replacement of that, if you like, or the, the redesign and the, the digging it up and yeah. putting in new stuff, um, will obviously impact the cost of or the amount of investment required. So could it be that um, Africa, for instance, uh, those countries you mentioned, which do not have that established infrastructure, may well, in fact, be first to, uh, to implement these uh, systems? And that's always the dilemma when you have technology shift. Who comes late and is late in the adopting the new technology or the new mobility system has the chance to skip steps. So the biggest threat, the answer is, it might be the case. The biggest threat is that uh, the planners will go by the book. So they start building BRTs, the, the usual things that uh, they have implemented for the last 15, 20 years. While there, there is a already a system that uh, Matatus, I mean, let's talk about the last first mile uh, things that are, it's already in place. 
And then the disruption could be just to add on top a layer of, let's say, communication, front-end application, and payment. And then you just need to orchestrate it. So first last mile mobility is already implemented there. They have the chance to skip few steps in terms of transport implementation. So that's an advantage. However, they need to have the skills to do that. So they need probably to, to do a quantum leap in terms of, okay, guys, let's scrap whatever has been done in other countries and let's take our own way, which is not always easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, other, other side of, of uh, autom- autonomous transportation, of course, could could apply uh, to other modes of transport. Um, do you see a potential in, for instance, sea cargo mm-hmm. and ships? I mean, that's another uh, another aspect. Let me put it in this way. When you go to point-to-point or hub-to-hub optimization, the, the amount of optimization you can do is limited, is more around the cargo, the, the, the load, full load, partial load. So making sure that the ship departs when it's fully loaded, then, uh, then it gets there uh, when it needs to get uh, to get there. So the optimization there is probably more on the ground. Let me answer to you in a different way. It's more managing when the dock, the the the, the ship docks. Okay, the offloading of the ship, having the truck there ready, so reduce the amount of queues waiting. So may, becoming more efficient from the docking down to the warehouse. So that's where I see a lot of improvements uh, on the seaside. They are tracked, they are already, let's say, containerized. So I see, uh, I see limited amount of improvement. And from a personal point of view, taking it even further, I mean, I, I know of many people who, for whom who I've mentioned it to, the idea of a autonomous aircraft is something they would never get into. Mm-hmm. Which is unusual, really, because it doesn't seem to be that people have uh, much of a problem with the idea of getting into an autonomous car. car. Yep. Um, do you ever foresee a possibility where um, aircraft may be autonomous? I mean, look, we we don't know, but uh, I mean, the whole concept of fly by wire. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's almost autonomous already. When there are, uh, I mean, I come from a country where there is a lot of fog. And sometimes uh, you get the pilot saying, guys, we are, we are doing instrumental landing. Please don't open up your phones. Uh, and then uh, the airplane lands. So and this was back in 2000. So mm-hmm. <laughs> not many, I mean, a few years back. So it, it's already the, the, the case. I understand that uh, it's probably due to the comfort of people being in the air when that happens rather than being on the ground and probably being able to take the steering wheel and take control of it. There you're just uh, out of any control. So that's probably the the, the psychological uh, factor that... uh, (laughs) Um, Finally, uh, I'll just ask you a a quirky one, if I may. Um, I remember, and and older listeners will probably remember, uh, a couple of films um, in the 80s and 90s in which uh, advanced transport... Um, featured one was in 1982 uh, Blade Runner by Ridley uh, directed by Ridley Scott starring Harrison Ford which featured of course futuristic cities and flying cars I don't know what the propulsion systems were but anyway flying cars but those flying taxis if you like um, had uh, human drivers pilots effectively Um, and then just eight years later uh, Paul Verhoeven directed a film called Total Recall starring uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and in that 
purely autonomous transport in the form of what were called Johnny cabs in the film um, were were part of the uh, part of the story. Um, which of those two uh, uh, technologies do you think is most likely to become the norm? Uh, will they be airborne or will they be ground-based? Look, uh, I think that the, the two movies capture the evolution path. So we're already discussing here autonomous vehicles that are enabled to be autonomous, but they, are, they have a driver. So it will start first with a driver. Now, uh, I've been part of a few exercises, brainstorming exercises, what mobility will look like in 2050. So will be airborne, will be grounded. I mean, if technology allows, uh, I expect that uh, it will also be airborne. It will most probably start with parcels. Hopefully they will not drop parcels on top of our head. So it will start with, let's say, things that are not mission critical. Let me put in this way. Before putting a, a life at risk, and if we come from a, an industry that is, I mean, railway, automotive, they have massive testing for safety. So I would expect the answer will be a blend of the two, so both uh, from ground and airborne. But uh, when it comes to airborne, before the adoption probably will be first with the parcels and so logistics, which is already happening, by the way. That was Chris Nelson talking to Andrea Petty of PTV Group. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you listen on. Leave a kind review by all means. Uh, All that remains is to thank uh, producer Kevin Jeffers and thank you all for listening. Please do join us again next time.